Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Think back to New Year's Day last year. Do you remember who the first person was to walk into your home? No, no. I don't. That year or the year before? Never, really. The year before that? Mm-mm. No? I recently learned that there is a word for that person, the first person to walk into your home There's a word for in the it. new year. Yes, and that word is Qualtuk. Now, let me explain. It's spelled a little bit strangely. It's Q-U-A-A-L-T-A-G-H. Qualtuk. Yes. Okay. And the reason it looks weird is because it's Manx. It comes from the Isle of Man, mm-hmm. where there was a tradition of keeping track of the first person to enter your house on New Year's Day. And in fact, there are superstitions involved in which person that was. You didn't want the person to be light-complected for oh, one thing. Oh, interesting. So yeah. dark-complected people mean good luck for the year? Yes, apparently, okay. according to some 19th century texts. And I wanted to recommend a book of a lot of really interesting words like that. It's called The Cabinet of Linguistic Curiosities, A Yearbook of Forgotten Words. It's by Paul Anthony Jones. That's excellent. And, you know, we will be talking about other books we recommend later in the show. But if you've got books that you're reading and enjoying and would like to share with us and have us share with our listeners, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org or tell the Facebook group about it. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Leela Allen, and I'm calling in from Miami. Hi, Leela. Hey, what's up? Hi. Um... So my husband and I were blaring the AC, as we pretty much do year-round out here in Miami, Mm -hmm. and we got to talking about the terms that we use for temperature manipulation, specifically heating and air conditioning. Um, So I was wondering, why is it that we call the device that warms the air a heater, but the thing that cools the air an air conditioner? It seems that changing the condition of the air would go both ways, You can make it warmer. You can Mm -hmm. make it cooler. Mm -hmm. So aren't both the heater and air conditioner conditioning the air? (laughs) (laughs) They are. Why does the one that cools the air get the distinction of being a conditioner? Yes, it's true that when you're heating the air, you're also conditioning it. But when air conditioning was first invented, the word conditioning was borrowed from the textile industry. There is something that you do to textiles to condition it. It involves controlling the humidity, controlling um, contaminants, controlling the temperature of the room and other things because you want your mills to operate efficiently and you want the conditions for the cloth to be sufficient so that things don't stretch or shrink or basically the product is consistent. So what comes out is what you want. In 1909, there was a guy by the name of Stuart Kramer. He was from North Carolina. And at a convention, he presented a paper called Recent Development in Air Conditioning. And he was the guy who coined the word air conditioning. But what his paper was about was textile mills. It was about dehumidifying. It was about cooling. It was about filtering the air. And he says in one of his later papers, he says, I I coined this word specifically from the notion that we were conditioning the textiles. He didn't necessarily care very much about making the room or the factory cool for the workers. He was more concerned about the product. So Ah. this, this speech that he gave, titled Recent Development in Air Conditioning, then became republished and different versions were put out there and he he kind of became known for it. And these machines, and he wasn't the one who invented air conditioning, not at all. He only coined the term. But these machines later caught on in other kinds of manufacturing. They showed up in movie theaters and other places where you have a lot of people and it's hot. But what's really interesting to me is we still have a very strong reason to use the word conditioning to refer to the device that cools our house. Because it isn't only cooling our house. It is actually still conditioning in the original sense that Kramer meant it. It is reducing the humidity and even to a small degree, but it does it. It filters the air of contaminants and particles. 
Yeah, interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And what about oh. hot water heaters? That's another whole yeah. conversation for a different radio show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I kind of, we were thinking that it was because it was a cooler term, and since air conditioning probably came about after heating, that it was more of an advertising method. But this makes sense, actually, you know, as the way that it was defined. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You did say you were right on one respect. Um, the word heating and heater, all that had already existed for a long time. The idea of cooling the air in that way is really recent. I mean, people used to do things with blocks of ice and fans blowing across them. But but the idea of having a, a machine that was powered by kerosene or gas or electricity, they would cool your business or your factory or your home. Um, this is really, really recent. We're talking... 140 years, maybe, maybe 150. And it, revolutionary. Revolutionary. I mean, you, you can right. read whole books about the effect of air yeah. conditioning on the South. Yeah, staggeringly yeah. interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, and this was in I the mean, American I South. I don't know how people lived out here ever without <laughs> air conditioning. It is yeah. so uh, hot in the summer. They yeah, suffered. No kidding. They, and humid where you are. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. Aaliyah, <laughs> anyway, so that's the story. Air, air conditioning, Stuart Kramer, 1909, started in the textile mills of North Carolina. Nice. Well, thank you. I'm glad that there was a solid answer and reference for this. I appreciate it. Take care now. Sure thing. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. So there we go. I know go. when she brought that question up, there were a huge number of people going like, yeah, I've always wondered because I always wondered. Mm. And then the first time I looked into it, I was like, this is great. There's a guy. And he even in, in his first use of the word air conditioning in print, he talks about why he chose the word. So he explains his coinage. And so we know from the horse's mouth, so to speak, why the word is conditioning. And my ears perked up, of course, when you were talking about textile mills in North Carolina, because that's where my dad worked yeah. before child labor laws. Right. And they were called lint heads. You know, lint they heads. came home with all this lint in their hair. Yeah, that's everywhere. the thing is when you read the history of Stuart Kramer and the textile mills, he was one of many men that was working in the air conditioning business and many people who started mm -hmm. these cooling businesses. But nobody at the time was really paying attention to the fact that there were all these workers mm -hmm. who were in that hot room with mm -hmm. these textiles that Deafening. they were trying to condition. Deafening. And yeah. so you have pictures from this exact same era, like early 1900s, of children standing at the loom. Oh, yes. My right? dad used to have that photo on yeah. his wall because that was his memory. And yeah. he, until he died, he had nightmares about trying to escape the mill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, regular nightmares. There's lots to say about word origins. I know there's a question that you've it's been bothering you, right? A burr under your saddle. This is the show where we're going to answer it. 877-929-9673. A new word for me, snuba. This is a snorkel scuba. Yes. Yeah. I ran across that recently, too. Did you? Yeah, I added in the it to Wall my, Street Journal. It might have been. I added it to my word file. Uh, I added it to my word file. <laughs> so our, our we have bulging both have word our files. Our commonplace books, right? <laughs> That's right. So I don't remember though. Snorkel plus scuba. How do they combine mm -hmm. the two? Where you can actually go down with the snorkel? You can dive up to twenty feet while breathing through a hose. Okay. Tethered to a raft. Snuba. Gotcha. Snuba. Snorkel That's and scuba. It's a nice word. Snuba. Uh -huh. Right. I love that it's the second generation. So we have yeah. self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, which right. gave us scuba. Uh -huh. And most people don't know the original acronym. And now right. it's spinning off these other words. Right. And what will come out of snuba? Snoobix? Snoobing? Snoobing. Snuba dude? 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Caitlin. I'm in San Diego. Excellent. Well, what can we do for you? So um, this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, my boyfriend and I took our dog down um, on a hike down Sunset Cliff to take him to the beach. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were playing with the dog, and uh, my boyfriend was messing around with him, and he said, oh, Finn, that's the last draw. And I paused for a second, and I thought, oh, I said, you meant the final straw, correct? <laughs> and he said, no, the final draw, like, um, like gunslingers in the Wild West. And I I said, I thought that it was the final straw. Um, and then that brought us to the straw that broke the camel's back. And he said that there were two different things. So I was wondering if you could clear that up for us. One thing I'll say is we all have, how shall I put this, disfluencies, uh, production errors, where things come out of our mouths that are grammatical, 
but they're not exactly the thing that we were supposed to say or meant to say. And maybe that's what happened with him because final draw isn't what almost anybody in the whole world would say when they meant that you've just done the very last thing that changes this all forever and and, and kind of like, you know, is going to mean your doom. Um, the final straw is what most, or the last straw is what most people say. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, but he did have a whole explanation about the Wild West and, you know, when they say draw yeah, no. and pull their guns out. I mean, I get that. Humans are very good at making rationalizations for the mistakes that we've made, and it sounds like that's Mm -hmm. what he's done here. But it's the final straw or the last straw, and it does come from the idea that, you know, you can put so much straw on a camel's back and you can keep adding one straw at a time until it's just too many straws and the the animal collapses. But you never know exactly when it's going to be because each straw is so small and so light. But you know there's an amount that will do the animal in. But the older version of it, interestingly enough, is feathers on a horse. Oh, interesting. Yeah, the last feather breaking a horse's back is even older and goes back to the 17th century. Huh. Yeah. That's cool, right? Well, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. But it's all about – it's all the notion is it's all about these incremental changes or these incremental additions where any one of them is fine, but all of them together is too much. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I think you can take that back to your boyfriend in a way that lets him know that you think it is so cute <laughs> the way he says the final draw. And maybe it'll be a thing between you right? that will always be adorable. Oh, maybe. <laughs> well, after I told him that I called into you guys, he was like, well, you're probably right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't mention my name on the radio. <laughs> and what's his name? <laughs> his name's Jordan. 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 All right. And the dog is Finn. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it was cool. re- really nice to talk to you, Caitlin. Let Jordan know that he's welcome to call us with your errors anytime. All right. <laughs> okay. I will. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Bye bye. Right, thanks. Take care. Bye bye. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org or talk to us on Twitter at w a y w o r d. We've talked before on the show about when kids reach for words that are a little bit beyond them, a little bit too sophisticated for them. And we heard from Jeff Downing in Dallas. He says, when I was little and being introduced to people like friends of my parents or people we would meet on the street, instead of asking something like, who are you or how are you? I would say, who do you think you are? (laughs) 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 <laughs> and they would look at me perplexed like I was trying to be confrontational. I just didn't understand exactly how to phrase the question. Can you imagine this little kid being introduced to you and saying, who do you think you are? <laughs> and actually meaning it. Yeah, yeah, thinking they were saying exactly the right thing. <laughs> it is up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. This show is about language examined through family history and culture. Stay with us. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. And on the line is our quiz guy, John Chinesky from New York City. Hi, John. Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. I was going to do a quiz about how cold it's getting here, but you know what? It's not getting cold, so I'm going to do something completely different. Uh, You guys are awfully smart. If I gave you a crossword clue like, mm, I don't know, fencing equipment and told you the answer began with E, you would easily guess... Epe. Epe, right. It's a classic. So I figured let's make it a little more challenging. Let's work from the inside out. If I gave you the clue a holiday and told you that the middle contained K-S-G-I, what might you guess? Thanksgiving. Yes, Thanksgiving. Mm. Very good. So that's how we're going to work this. We're going to work from the inside out. I'll give you the middle two letters of a word. 
And if you don't get it, I'll give you two more working out, and we'll go further and further out see how fast you can I can it. name that word in one wow. letter. Wow. Oh, okay. very nice. Here's the first one. She checks figures. K-E. Bookkeeper? Yeah. Bookkeeper. Yeah, that's all you need. It's right there in the middle. Oh, these are all, by the way, these are all 10 letters long, all of them. Okay. Okay, here's the next one. Hacker. E-R. E-R. Hacker. Hmm. How about B-E-R-J? B-E-R-J? Lumberjack. Oh, yes, lumberjack. Very Got to nice. remember, it's Cor- the crossword style puns right, and clues right. and That's double right. meanings. Here's another one. Risk. A-R. Leopard. If you stand in front of a leopard, that's <laughs> it sure very is a risky. Risk. Sure is a risk if you stand. Jeopardy. Right in the, right, oh, je- yeah, there we go. Uh, you're, you're close. Make it 10 letters long. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeopardize. <laughs> Jeopardize. <laughs> yes, very good. How about uh, zoo denizen? Speaking of uh, of animals, mm. zoo denizen, uh, P A, leopard. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's on a leopard kick. That's that's fine. Camel leopard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from from Twain, right? Uh, the camel leopard. Mm. Right. How about M P A N? Hippopoto. M P A N. M P A N. Chimpanzee. Yes, chimpanzee. <laughs> Good. How about subway shark? P-O. Is that like Pizza Rat? <laughs> this is not even close. I know this is close to Pizza Rat. Subway well, Shark? Is it somebody who eats a sandwich really, really oh, We'll, we'll see when we find the answer oh, how okay. it works out. Okay, how about K-P-O-C? Um, oh, yeah. Something po- pickpocket? Pickpocket. Oh, yes. oh hello, Very pickpocket. Nice. Subway pickpocket. Shark. Oh, that's nice. nice. Finally, uh, A. Just A. Now that's the that's the clue, and the the uh, the letters are F I. They hmm. sure are F I A. Alphabetismalness. Let's try E F I N. Definite. Right. Indefinite. Indefinite. Indefinite is oh, right. Lord. Congratulations. That's great. You guys. It's hard. That is. Of course. Indefinite. Well. The indefinite article. This hey, the indefinite article. You John. guys are fantastic. You worked your way from the inside mm. to the outside and every way in between. You Some were, were harder great. than others. That was yes. quite challenging. Quite Good. challenging. John, thanks, bud. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks. Talk to you then. All right, cheers. All right. Bye. The show tackles all aspects of language, whether it's slang, new words, an argument you had about how to do something at work. Did you write the right thing? Did somebody make a mistake and then a customer saw it? We'd like to talk about it, 877-929-9673, or email words at waywardradio.org, or talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, guys, this is Andy calling from Surprise, Arizona. Well, what's the surprise for us? What do you have for us? Something nicely wrapped? So I was um, uh, playing in the pool with the kids, and, you know, we were all jumping in and doing cannonballs and stuff, and normally when I jump in, I, you know, I shout something like, cannonball or cowabunga, and this time I jumped in and I went, Geronimo! And I, it, it was just something that, that came out of me, and I remember it was something that I would say a lot when I was younger, doing things like that, and, um, but I was like, gosh, I don't even know if it's appropriate to say that anymore. What was the story behind jumping into the fray or something and, and screaming Geronimo. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked on Wikipedia uh, briefly just to try, and I saw something about, like, in, I think it was World War II, like, paratroopers would shout it when they were jumping out of the airplanes, but it didn't say why. And I was like, what is the story behind this? Well, there's more than one story, and I'm going to tell you the one that I think has the most credibility. So sure. in 1941, there was a story printed in the New York Herald Tribune which talks about soldiers shouting Geronimo as they parachuted out of planes. And they credit the 501st Parachute Battalion in October of 1940 doing this. So it was really interesting. So 1940 is the earliest use that we have at all. And this news story is from 1941, May of 1941. And the reason they might have shouted Geronimo is that it was a I believe it was a 1939 film 
about the Apache warrior Geronimo that was widely seen and widely shown at military bases. And he's a little bit of a folk hero. Even at that point, he had this legend about him, about his ability to withstand the the travails of war and still like come up on top. So a, a lot of people respected him and his story as a warrior. And the two different versions of the story don't really matter very much, but a lot of people credit this guy by the name of Eberhard, Aubrey Eberhard, apparently at Fort Benning, Georgia in 1940, um, was challenged by his peers to jump out of this airplane and demonstrate to them that they have he had a presence of mind that is that he wasn't completely overtaken by fear unable, unable to, like you can you can blindly jump out of a plane but that's not a courageous act unless you can demonstrate that you did it like with full body control and full mental awareness and that it wasn't really a big deal and so apparently as the story goes he shouted geronimo the name of this warrior and the name of this film to show his peers that um that he you know he had he could think about something else other than the fear of dying from falling and smacking into the earth so and one guy one guy supposedly and it's a really uh. it's a really concrete story actually Aubrey Eberhardt was interviewed many years later and he confirmed the basic the basic bones of that story and kind of pinned down the dates with his term of military service and so forth and do you think it's still uh like polit- politically correct to to shout it out because I was like gosh I'm not sure if it's not okay anymore. Yeah, uh, that's I, a fair question. It is a good question. In my personal opinion, based on what I've seen from the Indian American community, they have no thoughts one way or the other about it. Because oh. it does look like it started out as a term of respect for the warrior, for this Apache warrior who could fight. And like I said, even when he lost, he looked like he won. He just had this, the movie, of course, you know, aggrandized the character quite a bit and, and oh, built sure. up the legend quite a bit. But it, um, so it started pretty much, as far as I understand it, as a term of respect. Yeah, I'd like to see that movie and, and there's, see how he was Well, the, the movie was pretty terrible, actually, yeah. but it's, you know, 1930s. But what's really interesting is, although Geronimo, shouting Geronimo when you jump out of planes is no longer really a thing in the U.S. military, not supposed to be a thing officially, it does still appear on a variety of logos and patches and veterans groups that are um, former parachutists or airborne. Um, they still use it in a variety of different ways. So it's that Geronimo is still out there in the military community and still associated with jumping from airplanes. Very cool. cool. Well, that is just absolutely fascinating. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to fill me in on it. Andy, thanks so much for calling. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, so guys. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 877-929-9673. You know, when you hear about controversies over zoning or where to put something, you hear the term NIMBY, right? Oh, for building and urban planning. Yeah. Right. And NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. Mm-hmm. But there's an even stronger version of that, which I didn't realize until the other day, and that's banana. Build absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. <laughs> that means banana. No one, right. What I have is enough, and <laughs> yeah. anyone who comes after can just suffer. <laughs> yeah, NIMBY and banana. And, of course, there's the YIMBY, which is the positive. The people's like, all right, I'm willing to take a compromise on my neighborhood and get this thing built. Right? YIMBY? YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. Oh, I didn't know that yeah. one. I guess I don't hear it that often, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> the NIMBY voices are somehow louder yeah. and more frequent. <laughs> Not to mention the banana voices. <laughs> 877-929-9673. Hello, welcome to Away With Words. Hello, this is Bruce uh, from Dallas. Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bruce. What's going on? Uh, my great-grandmother always used to say they were falling to staves, and I grew up with that all my life, and uh, they said it meant they were starving to death. But I never understood how they derived that meaning from <laughs> that phrase. And I've never talked to anybody that's ever even heard that. And I was just wondering if you guys uh, knew the answer. So falling to staves, like S-T-A-V-E-S, falling to staves? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my understanding. You know, I asked my mom to spell it out for me years ago, so that's what she said. Okay. Uh-huh. And by that they meant really hungry or just otherwise in a bad way? I'm falling to staves, Grandma? The way I took it was that they were just starving to death, like just famished. Okay. 
Okay. Well, I can see how you would use it in that, that way, because to fall to staves means to fall to pieces, literally. You know how a barrel has those staves, those slats of wood that are curved and they're held together by metal? Yeah. On a barrel or a butter churn or even silos, those big, oh, right. long strips mm-hmm. um, are called staves. And so if you're falling to staves, it's just like the, the, um, the metal part that holds everything together the has come ba- off. The bands have come loose? Yeah, right. the bands have come loose and all these pieces just fall apart. So it goes from barrel to boards in like a minute. In yeah. a second. In a yeah. second, yeah. <laughs> they just go crashing <laughs> to the ground. Are you familiar with the word staves in that sense? Yeah, uh, you know, doing the research, you know, I discovered that a stave was part of a barrel, but mm. I never correlated that with anything about being hungry. Oh, yeah. So... You know, I was always confused, but it was kind of a going joke in my household because my mom used to use it a lot. And, of course, I picked it up and started using it. And I use it with my boys now. But I think my generation is going to be the last one because they didn't pick it up. Oh, shoot. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. It's been around since the 19th century, and there's something wonderful about that image of of just these pieces of wood just kind of clattering to the floor. Mm-hmm. You're just completely falling apart. You're so hungry. Right, so in the family sense, they're hungry, and maybe yeah. they're starting to look like staves. They're thick, <laughs> stick thin. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it seems like a reach, but, you know, I, I just always just, it, it seems like it rolled off the tongue really nice. And, you know, we always had a good laugh about it, you know, after, you know, it was said. So, you know, that that's what's left with me and, and my life is, you know, it's just a, a good memory. That's Aww. excellent. And Bruce, I got to tell you, you might be surprised that when your children grow up, they might start talking a lot more like you. They, they might use that phrase. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that would be very daring. Bruce, thank you so much for your call. Okay. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. All righty, Bruce. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Bye bye. You know, Grant, speaking of hunger, um, when you stave off hunger, mm-hmm. you're sort of holding it at bay as if it's with a stick. You're holding a stave and fighting off this hungry be- hung yeah. the beast yeah. of hunger? Okay. Yeah, apparently that that goes back to the old uh, practice of dog baiting or bear baiting. Oh, interesting. You know, holding a stick and keeping that animal away. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, Grant. Hi, Martha. This is Chris Lenning. I'm calling from Plaza, North Dakota. How are you all? Excellent, Chris. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hey, I've been thinking about something that I've experienced. Um, I live in small town America, um, and uh, I work with youth. And I was thinking about several years ago, um, I was trying to connect with some of my youth. They were driving around town, cruising the loop, as we used to call it when I was a youth. And uh, trying to get their attention and motion that for them to come over to me and I wanted to talk with them and so I made a gesture where I kind of uh, took my fist and swung it around several times which I knew means roll down your window mm-hmm. um, but I found out quickly that's an anachronistic gesture so I wanted to ask a little bit about anachronistic gestures I know that's not necessarily your total bailiwick but it's a part of communication and it just mm-hmm. fascinates me you know yeah, they had no idea what I was talking about because you all probably remember rolling down a window. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we yes. do. Uh-huh. Sure. Yes. But they so had no idea. They, they just rolled on. didn't know. They just rolled on and didn't do anything? <laughs> they just gave me a strange look and <laughs> said, what? Well, they thought it was some obscene gesture you were doing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? <laughs> <laughs> So if you're impatient and you're you're tapping your wrist with one finger, do they get that? You know, thanks to, um, I don't want to say the brand name, but to our fitness monitors, I think they get that now. Right. Okay. <laughs> but for a while, that was that was gone. You're, yeah, like what you're... is a watch? Who knows? <laughs> right. right, like maybe you're asking them their heart rate or something. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Stepping out exactly. Moscow. Yeah, yeah, because it seems like fewer and fewer people are wearing watches. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of another anachronistic gesture. Chris, how would you gesture to tell someone to press the button to have the automatic window go down would that even work i don't know we i talked with those young people and luckily one of them had grown up on the farm and so they had driven a their grandpa's pickup truck with sure. down windows and they said well could you just kind of pull back as if you're gonna uh flick a marble they knew about marbles but they didn't know about <laughs> 
about roll down windows. Um, that was, you know, the the flicking motion was the one that they mentioned maybe Wait, would work. They flick their windows down. Yeah, well, that little switch that you pull back on or I've push probably, forward. I on. feel like it's a f- index finger motion. I just press it or pull it, but it yeah, it does, press it down feel like or something. Flicking to me. But of course, the gesture has to be bigger, more dramatic. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> that's the difficulty yeah. here, right? Wow. Absolutely. That's so, did you feel old? Were you like a dinosaur? Um, I, I think I was only like. 35 at the time, so I guess Old. in their eyes, I, w- I was certainly, uh, at the very least, Fred Flintstone age. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of other gestures. I mean, sort of pointing to your wrist and asking the time mm-hmm. is one. Rolling down the window. I mean, I mean, even the phrase rolling down mm-hmm. the window. I mean, we don't really roll no, it anymore. Just... I mean, you see that more in the language, I mm-hmm. think, rather than gestures. Like, like, turn up the TV. I mean, when have you... When's the last time you actually turned a knob right. to turn absolutely, up the TV? Absolutely. Yeah, or you talk about um, about a blow-by-blow account of something. You describe it as the TikTok. What What right. are we going to do in sure. this meeting? What's the TikTok? I mean, who? Yeah, who who listens to a clock ticking anymore? Mm. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. hipsters will help us recover some of these. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. I, one of the ones that stayed around though is. Uh, you know, making the sign like surfs up or hang loose and, and holding it to your ear. That's that survived even with all the technology and changes in phones. Well, and, and another one you see, I, at least I see people saying text me and they're acting oh, it the out. Oh, the two thumbs, you know? yeah. Yeah, text me your phone number or whatever. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, but that's that's a new one. Mm-hmm. There's that's so new. much we do on a small screen that that could be about anything. I know, right? That's and true. pretty soon we'll be dictating it anyway. Well, I wonder if people, <laughs> when they were asking people to call them back, Back in the olden days, if they held one, you know, fist up in front of them and another one to their ear. fist to their ear, I didn't know yeah, what they yeah, did to back make then. Make the dialing motion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Dialing a phone. Who does that anymore? Very few yeah. people. So it's more preserved in the in the language than mm-hmm. in gestures. But Chris, thank you so much for these thoughts. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, just we really enjoy your show. My sister is a San Diego. Uh, uh, transplant, and so uh, what a great opportunity for me to talk with you both. Thank you, Chris. Take care now. Glad to hear All from right, you. All right, blessings. Goodbye. Love you too. All bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Well, I didn't notice our producer making that the know, lasso. tornado. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the wrap rounded up, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> My, the other one is the, the hand on the neck yeah. that means cut it off. Right, right. <laughs> she really does the okay and the thumbs up. I don't know why. I know. What is that about? <laughs> Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. More of why we say what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash words. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. You know, once a year we do a show where we recommend books as gifts to other people. One of the books that I want to recommend this year is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Charlie is a woman. This book has a familiar premise, a little bit fantasy, a little bit science fiction. It's where magic and technology compete head to head. They kind of coexist. And in the end, there's a confrontation between the two and a fight over the future. I really enjoyed this book. It was a super fast read. One of the things that I liked about it is it's about whether or not we will be controlled by artificial intelligence, uh, an Mm. intelligence that knows our every move, 
Or will our behavior be controlled and influenced, perhaps punished by a secret group of magical people? <laughs> and that's an adult book? That um, is an adult book, yeah. Okay. But I do have a kid's book to recommend. Okay. I know that because I read books with my son and so does my wife. This book is called It Ain't So Awful Falafel by Feruze <laughs> Dumas. This is a story about a teenage Iranian girl who lives in California. It starts in 1979. And she finds herself kind of having to explain what is going on in Iran to her classmates and friends. And she also has this crisis of identity. Is she Zomarad Yusfizadeh or is she Cindy, the name she decided mm. to call herself? Mm -hmm. And this funny and poignant book not only shows what it's like to be a teenage girl in America, but talks about the immigrant experience, talks about straddling two worlds, talks about California in a lot of ways and what California of 30-some-odd years ago went through to become this, this state that it is today. Really, really loved this book. And I liked the way that the author Dumas, D-U-M-A-S, mm -hmm. just like the, the French, famous French author, though she's not related, um, I really liked the way that History shows up in this book, but it's not too didactic. We get just enough taste of the Ayatollah and the Shah and the crisis and the hostages and that whole thing, if you remember that. Oh, so, yeah. so she's got this problem. Should she know enough about the Shah to explain it to her classmates? Should she become the expert? I mean, teachers keep asking her, for example, to stand in front of the class and tell people about what's happening in Iran. But she's just a teenage girl in California. Mm-hmm. Although that's my main recommendation from the author, Firuze Dumas. She also has two really interesting books for adults. They're nonfiction called Funny and Farsi and Laughing Without an Accent. And they're about Ooh. her own life directly. They're, they're even more autobiographical where she talks about language and culture and uh, those funny stories about living life here as a outsider who's becoming an insider. And they're, they're both wonderful. I think I want to read all three. Her name, by the way, I should spell this. Firouze Dumas is F-I-R-O-O-Z-E-H and D-U-M-A-S. So let's have those titles again. So her books are It Ain't So Awful Falafel mm -hmm. and Funny and Farsi and Laughing Without an Accent. And then the first one I mentioned by Charlie Jane Anders is All the Birds in the Sky. And I would just add, the books that I've been giving as gifts are books that we've talked about before, one of which is Corey Stamper's Word by Word, which I keep hearing from listeners about people loving this introduction to lexicography and, and the life of, of a lexicographer and also the life of the English language. Uh, it's a fantastic introduction for anybody who's interested in English. And then the other one is Whiteout, and that is a collection of poems by Jessica Goodfellow uh, that are a about mountaineering, but they're also about life. We know that you're big readers and you want to share your books with us. Send us the titles. Tell us what's up. Tell us what you think we should be reading. And perhaps we'll share that with the rest of the listeners. 877-929-9673 or email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, I'm Kristen Maurer calling from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hello, Kristen. Welcome. What's up? What can we help Thanks with? Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. sure. I'm actually I'm calling because um, my grandmother was born in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And if you've ever met anybody who was raised in the mountains of Appalachia, you typically find that they have like this very unique way with words. Oh, they yes. have like lots of earthy and sort of humorous figurative language, similes, metaphors, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And when I was a little girl, she always raised gardens. And I remember at least a few times or a couple times per season, she would make a comment about how it was time to string the leather britches, to string up the leather britches or hang the leather britches. And like, I know that that has something to do with a form of preservation for green beans, but I guess what I'm really curious about is first of all, like where on earth did this terminology evolve from? But then Specifically, was she referring to like a certain variety of green beans or was this just sort of a blanket term for the preservation process of any type of bean? Yeah, this was a way to dry beans so that you could use them later. These mm -hmm. days, most people think of green beans as, beans as something you pluck from the garden and you have to use them, you know, before they mm -hmm. spoil in the next few days or a week or so. But you could run a string through the end of the beans, hang them on the wall or out in the sun so that they dried, and then you would always have beans on hand that you would then soak like regular dried beans and then and then cook with. 
you know, mixed with your mm-hmm. hog fat and your potatoes and onions or whatever. And I do remember seeing that in her home. I mm-hmm. remember seeing her oh, do, really? doing that. Um, but I guess I, the biggest thing that I, I've always been thinking about is that why leather bridges? Like, I, what, I mean, I guess I'm I'm curious as to where that evolved from. Well, they look they're brown, right? The beans once they dry mm-hmm. are brown. Do you remember that? Ah, well, that's true. Yeah, and they're kind of coarse and rough, and they look a lot like leather. Not don't think of like the leather pants, the sexy leather pants that someone <laughs> might wear now. But think more like no. a cowboy's chaps or something like that. Right. Like, like oh, that makes sense. Yeah, rough and brown sense. and and coarse and 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 kind of shaped like that. Well, it's funny because I actually called a couple seed companies um, because I also garden. And a couple years ago, I thought, well, I'm going to call around and see if I can try to find this type of green bean that my granny used to grow. Mm-hmm. And what was amusing about it is I said, you know, I'm looking for this bean. I believe it's called um, leather britches. And the people were just, like, baffled. They're like, this lady's <laughs> off her rocker because they, they're like, what is she talking about? So they obviously didn't know that this was a form of food preservation right. mm-hmm. either. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, It's regular green beans as far as I know, as far as I've ever read. It shows up in a ton of folklore. Do you know the Foxfire books? Oh, yeah. There's a yes. long passage yes. in there where people describe in detail how they preserve their beans in this way. And it sounds like regular old green beans or string beans. And interestingly, they're not called string beans because you string them up and dry them. They're called string beans because they have a string on them that you tear off before you cook them. Right. Okay. Well, I've heard of those Foxfire books. I've always wanted to read them. Yeah, Yeah, look them up. There's there's people talking in natural, regular voices in that, a lot of times in that Appalachian English that 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 you mentioned. Yes. Well, I'm going to do that. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking my call. I just love your show. Thanks for sharing your family memories, too. Have a great day. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Leather britches. And yeah. they're not the only ones, by the way, just to make that clear. Leather britches for dried beans that you kind of hang on the wall until yeah. you need them is widespread throughout the United States. I did it's not, not common. That. Okay. It's not common, but uh-huh. it exists enough that it shows up in dialect dictionaries. Uh-huh. And like I said, you can show, see yeah. it in books of folklore and oh. old recipe books. And in church suppers and dinners there on the ground. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't eat meat now, but I'm drooling. <laughs> I am, too. I'm just thinking about that. When you're the lucky one who gets that big piece of fat back or salt pork uh. in your spoon, in your spoon of beans. <laughs> your spoon of beans. Your spoon the, of leather bridges. <laughs> 877-929. Nine six seven three. If you're living with a chronic illness or an invisible disability, you start to see the world in a different way. You have to ration your energy and plan your day in a way that you don't if you're just, say, a little kid who's mm-hmm. popping out of bed and you just have boundless energy. And that's led to a term that I'm seeing more and more, and that term is spoonie. Do you know this term? I think I saw it and passed it by and did not record it. Mm. Tell me about spoonie. Yeah, it's really interesting. Christine Miseradino has a website called But You Don't Look Sick. Mm-hmm. And on that website, she describes trying to explain to a friend of hers what it's like to live with a couple of chronic conditions. And she talked about how you think of each day as a collection of spoons. And you have to plan mm, yes. out your day and think about how you're going going to spend your energy because maybe you can do this one activity today, but maybe you can't do another. Mm-hmm. And the term spoonie has arisen from this. And there's a whole community of people online who refer to themselves as spoonies. That is people who have to ration out their energy and find workarounds to work around those conditions, disabilities, that kind of thing. So the metaphor about the spoons has to do with you have a certain number of spoons mm-hmm. th- to use throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And when you're done, yeah. there's no more scooping out the energy for yet another event or another conversation. Right. So you have to think about how are you going to spend that limited number of spoons mm-hmm. you have. It's a, it's a really interesting way, I think, to explain to other people what that is like. And there's this whole community that's arising referring to themselves as spoonies. So if I'm a spoonie, I'm somebody who has a hidden chronic condition mm-hmm. that, that lowers my energy and my ability to like lead what other people would consider to be a normal life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. 877-929-9673.
Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Brian from Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. What's up? So I have a phrase or saying my grandfather used to say when I was a kid. And uh, whenever he would uh, be in conversation or uh, have to just leave a room or something, he would say, well, I have to go see a man about a horse. And he would leave. But as a kid, I would notice he'd never go see a man about a horse. He would normally just make it to the restroom. And so um, uh, I was just curious to know why that has always meant going to the restroom and not seeing a man about a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you not actually come back with a horse? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of many euphemisms for doing that, for going off and doing your business. But uh, I think the older version was see a man about a dog. Yeah, as far back as the 1860s. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it applied not only to using the restroom, but it could apply to, especially during Prohibition, going off to have a little nip of something. Or to go meet your lady friend on go the slide. Go meet your lady friend or man friend, yes. And it's all, yeah, it was mostly okay. men saying it, though. Right. Yeah. As to why that particular animal, a dog or a horse, we don't know. It's just, just one of those euphemisms. Uh, I know that, that ladies of that era also said, I'm going to go pluck a rose mm-hmm. <laughs> for going to the restroom. Or you could go see Miss White. I remember oh, that one. Is one. <laughs> There's all things that you say in order to not have to say the real thing. Yeah, I don't hear it as often. Do you, Grant? No, um, I don't. But it's familiar to me from my reading. It's the kind of color that fiction writers like to throw in when they've got a, a folksy character. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, cool, Brian. Thank you for your call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was very interesting. Thank you. Take care now. Thanks, Brian. You too. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Eric George calling from Burlington, Vermont. Hello, Eric. Welcome. What's up? What can we help with? All right. So right now I have three dictionaries open on my desk, all to the, the three words they start on are greenbacker, gratify, and greet. And the word I'm trying to find out about is gregarious. Gregarious. Yes. And so uh, this came up because I was on the phone with my partner, and my family was in the background and we were having a good time. Everyone was laughing. And she said, yes, I can hear, you know, the gregarious laughter. And, and for some reason, it, it, didn't, it didn't sit right. And, and I realized that I'd only ever heard gregarious used to describe, you know, a person or a type of way of being for a, an organism, you know, mm-hmm. like a, like mm-hmm. a gregarious flock of animals, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, but I've, ne- I've never heard it used in, in that way before. And we started talking about it and we realized that we disagreed about the word gregarious and some, uh, some bets were made and, and mm-hmm. here I am on the phone with you. Bets you made, were made. <laughs> you made bets. What's on the line? Maple creamies. You know, Martha, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so my dog. Uh, what, well, your dog? Uh, what? You bet an animal? <laughs> it, it's uh, a, a, a long-running joke. Uh, okay. You know, he's, he's a good yes. Um, I would never part with him, and we'll probably end up taking care of him together at some point anyway. So. Okay. Oh, okay. So might as well just put him up. He's, he doesn't know. I haven't told him. And here's the thing is I, over the past few weeks, I've been starting to question myself and wondering uh, am I, you know, is my idea of this word too strict? You know, I'm, I, I love writing and reading poetry, and I love flexibility with language. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of wondering about the cultural implications of being so strict about this word. So I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. <laughs> gregarious mm-hmm. laughter. Is it a thing? That's what you're asking, right? Yes. And what did she mean by yeah, gregarious laughter? Uh, yeah, so uh, people were, uh, we were merry. <laughs> we were just having a good time, and it sounded... And the reason I thought that it worked is it, it sounds inviting. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's welcoming, as in, you know, a gregarious person is welcoming and sociable and easy to talk to. The gregarious laughter, I'd imagined, um, may have been inviting. You know, I'm kind of on the fence about this. If, if I were editing someone else's text, I would definitely, mm-hmm. as a copy editor, put a note in the side, you know, pointing to the word gregarious and saying, did you mean gregarious or did you mean contagious or, or some other mm. word? Um, I would query. But on the other hand, if the author steaded the change and wanted to leave it, I think I would let it go because I think it does, as you very aptly put it, I think it does say this is the kind of laughter that wants you to join. This isn't the kind of mm-hmm. laughter that excludes and alienates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It strikes my ear a little odd. Yeah. Gregarious. Mm-hmm. Because you think of a gregarious person being somebody who's super mm-hmm. sociable. Yeah. And gregarious left. I mean, maybe a gregarious dog. I don't know. If uh... you're just speaking aloud, it's kind of one of those things. It's, I'll, I'll give you literary license for it, right? But if you were writing it, I think I might, like I said, call it into question and say, are you sure? Mm-hmm. So what would you say? Group laughter? You said uh, contagious? Contagious, maybe. Yeah, yeah. She was trying to connote the idea of the whole group, mm-hmm. just uproarious. Or, or somehow write, right. rewrite the phrase if it were in, in print and, and yeah. indicate that, like, uh, the laughter was happening and they were inviting us into the group and making us feel welcome. You're talking about poetry, really. It's, yeah. it's a poetic. Right, exactly. Yeah, literary or poetic license really lets us, this is one of the ways that we toy with language. And we're we're all always experimenting and trying new things. And I think it sounds like you knew what she meant, but it did strike mm-hmm. your ear, which definitely warrants a conversation with us, I think. Anytime something is you're like, what? And you have to call Martha and Grant and find out. Um, I, would, right. I would say that um, you both get to keep the dog and you have to move in together. <laughs> Count me in. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, the two of you. I really appreciate it. Eric, thank you so much. And give us a call sometime. Yeah. Give, that, give that dog some pets and treats for us, All right. Thanks, All Eric. Right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Eric mentioned a herd and a flock, and, of course, that's yeah. the root of the word gregarious. It comes from the Latin grex. So congregation, maybe? Uh, possibly. Mm. Possibly. I know I know that the term egregious uh-huh. comes from the same root, G-R-E-X, in so Latin. So means outside of the group? Yeah, then? outside of the flock. The, the E means like yeah. absent from or exactly. removed from? Interesting. Exactly. Cool, right? Yeah, cool, right. There's all this underlying tangle. I always imagine, you ever heard about these... These giant fungi who like they have roots spreading yes, over yes, acres yes, of land, that's a great and you don't realize that the one five miles over there is yes. actually the same plant that's over there. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. Language yes. is like that underneath; it's all connected. Yes. <laughs> it is, and it's gorgeous. Let's talk about it. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send your stories about language to words at waywardradio.org. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.